Man, thank you so much for being here on this cold, snowy March Sunday. Say the word rock. Say it again, rock. Because we just sang about that word. Say the word sand. Say it one more time, sand. Say the word anchor. All right, so these are some themes we're going to carry the next two weeks, especially the words rock and sand. We're in Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn there today. But in Matthew chapter 7, we're, we're in a three-week series called Losing My Religion. And we're coming to the final words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where in Matthew chapter 7, he's telling people, listen, the religious commitments of your past are no longer good enough. You need to step into a relationship with me. And he defines people, and if you need a Bible, our ushers are going to go down the aisle, just wave at them, they'll give you one so you can study with us in Matthew 7. But Jesus will say in next week's message that people who hold on to religion are like people who build their house on the sand, sinking sand, and that, that faith foundation will not last. But people who will build their life on a relationship with Jesus rather than religion and ritual, that's like someone who builds his house on the rock. So think about those words, rock and sand, because we're going to use those as we continue to teach through Matthew chapter 7. And we start in verse 15 today. Remember Jesus talking to people about why religion is not good enough and they need to go to the next stage in their relationship with God. And here's what Jesus says, Matthew seven fifteen through 23, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you're going to recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you're going to recognize them. Verse 21, 22, and 23 are some of the most important things Jesus ever said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers." Now, here's my question today. When I read these verses, my question is the title of our Bible study today. I read those verses and say, how in the world did we get here? Um, how do we get to a point where, where people who clearly are religious, where people who clearly have an awareness of God, where people who clearly have a desire to be with God in eternity come before God and they say, God, we, we've been kind of hanging on to this connection with you and now we want to be with you forever. And God says, no, your, your connection with me was not real. How do we get to that place? Last week as we looked at the first part of Matthew chapter 7, we, we asked the question, who's your daddy? And that question, I ask you to say the word anchor, we, we basically said this, what is, what is the anchor of your faith? Because Jesus said the thing that you anchor your faith to in your past will be the thing that will tell you the future of your faith in the future. Um, and, and Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, the anchor of the Pharisaical faith was Abraham. And Jesus kept getting into arguments with the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 7 and beyond. And he would say, you need to have a connection with God through me. And they would say, we have Abraham as our father. And John the Baptist said, you need to have a relationship with God through what the Messiah is going to bring. And they would say, well, we have Abraham as our father. And in John chapter 8, Jesus said, if you really want to know God, you have to know me. And they said, oh, we have Abraham as our father. And there was this thought that we've got this connection with God that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. 
and we're fine with that. And Jesus says, you need to realize the only connection the Bible says you can have with God is through Jesus. So last week we asked the question. They said, we have Abraham as our father. What is your spiritual father? What is your spiritual anchor? If you were to reflect on your past right now, what is the thing that holds together your relationship with God? When you look at your connection to God right now, why do you believe you have a connection with God? That's my question for you today. And many people will answer that question by pointing to religious things than a relationship with someone. I'll say, what, why do you believe you have a connection to God? And they'll talk about uh, a prayer that they said. They'll talk about a hand that they raised. They'll talk about an event where they came forward. They'll talk about being baptized. They'll talk about their parents having them baptized. They'll talk about going through confirmation classes. They'll talk about growing up in this denomination or that type of church. And a lot of people, when you say, what is the one thing that you're for sure connects you to God for now and forever, and they'll point to something religious, some, some step of religion, rather than a relationship, with a man called Jesus. And Matthew 7 is, is basically Jesus blowing up this issue that religion, you, you have to have more than religion, you have to have a relationship with me. That's really the meat of Matthew chapter 7, but the question is, how do, how do we get here? How do we get to a point where there are, in the New Testament, large numbers of people that are very religious but not really connected to God? How do we get to the point in our world today where we have large numbers of people that go to Christian churches who are very religious, but who are not really connected to God. How does this work? That's what Jesus answers for us today, and he really gives us two answers. Um, The first answer, probably I have to take more seriously than you, but you certainly have to, you've got to play in your mind what this answer gives you. And then the second answer is one that is is just how closely our, our walk matches our talk. So how do we get to a point where people feel like they're connected to God, but, but they really don't have a relationship to Jesus? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, the first way that happens is he said the spiritual leaders get it wrong. He said the spiritual leaders have gotten it wrong, and when the spiritual leaders get it wrong, the spiritual followers are going to get it wrong. Look at Matthew seven fifteen. So how do we get to a point where you have all these people who believe they're connected to God, but they're really not? And Jesus said the religious leaders misled them. They made them think they were connected to God, but they're kind of doing their own thing. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. Now, a false prophet is a a term that Jesus used many times in his ministry, and it's a term that God used a lot. A false prophet was somebody who claims to speak on behalf of God, but who doesn't say the same thing as God. The word prophet means spokesman. Um, A prophet was somebody who would take what God said and tell it to people. The reason a prophet came about is because God at one point spoke to Israel directly through a cloud on a mountain called Mount Sinai, and God actually thundered his own voice, and the people were so freaked out by hearing the voice of God because they felt such accountability to someone they personally heard. They went to Moses and said, listen, we believe in him now. We don't need to do this anymore. That's kind of freaky. Why don't you just... Have him tell you, you tell us, we'll listen to you. So the office of a prophet came about, a spokesman for God. A false prophet was somebody who claimed to be a spokesman for God, but they did not say the same thing that God said about things. And what's interesting is before God taught us what we were supposed to know, he wanted to teach us um, what, we need, what, we wanted, what we needed to watch out for. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, it's going to be on your sermon notes, the word Deuteronomy 
translates second law. The, the D-E-U-T prefix is kind of like the English word deuce, which would mean number two. Um, Deuteronomy means second law. The first time Moses gave the law to the people of Israel, it was written on stone tablets and given verbally. The second time he actually wrote it down in a book so they could have it, the book is called Deuteronomy, the second law, the written law of God. Before God wanted the people of Israel to know exactly what he was going to say, he wanted them to know that there were always going to be people who would come to them and say, God says, but they weren't saying the same thing as God. And he said, you just need to be aware of these guys. In Deuteronomy 13, he said it this way in verses 1 through 3, if a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or a wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken takes place and the prophet says, let's follow other gods, gods you've not known, let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer. God said, listen, there are going to be people in the world who come up to you and say, listen, I want to help you connect to God and you follow God this way, but if they're not telling you to connect to me the same way I'm telling you to connect to me, don't follow them. They're false gods. There's going to be people who say, if you want to be close to God, do this, but, but I don't sanction their message. And if they don't say what I say, if you do what they do, you're not going to become closer to me. Jesus said the exact same thing in Matthew chapter 24. So God, before he ever gives his people what they're supposed to know, he says, you need to know there are going to be people that try to lead you astray. Don't listen to them. Jesus, as he's getting ready to leave his disciples in Matthew chapter 24, they ask him about the end times and how they're supposed to know what to do when Jesus is gone. And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah. And they're going to deceive many. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. Jesus said there's going to be people who come and tell you this is the way to God. But if they don't say the same thing God says, don't listen to them. There's going to be people who tell you, this is how you connect to salvation. But if they don't say the same thing God says, do not listen to them because you're not connecting to salvation. And Jesus uses an interesting word. Take your pen and on your sermon notes, circle that word deceive. Jesus answered, watch out, that no one deceives you. That word deceive, we think of the word deception as somebody who's very has ill intentions. That word deceived is is a mathematical term. It literally means miscalculation. That, that would be the best word for that. I don't know if you're like me, but when, when, uh, when 2 plus 2 equals 4 became, um, you know, the square root of this, the square root of that, and my teacher started making me in long division, those of you who've done long division, like you not only had to do 485,000, you know, divided by this number, um, you not only had to answer it, but you had to show all your work. Do you remember those math problems where it was like two or three pages of work? And I remember doing those problems and doing those tests, and I would get the wrong answer in the blank, and my teacher, like on page three of the problem, would circle where I had made a two look like a three or where I had made a three look like an eight or where I had replaced a positive sign with a negative sign, and she would say, this, this one little miscalculation here actually made the answer wrong. Everything else she did was right, but this one miscalculation made the answer wrong. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, you can have one little miscalculation spiritually and believe that you're supposed to connect to God this way, when in reality, God says you're supposed to connect this way. You're looking for the answer. You just want to figure out how to be connected to God. But if you miscalculate anywhere along the way what connects you to God, your answer is going to be incorrect. And if we go back to Satan in the Garden of Eden, 
Satan in the Garden of Eden was probably the world's first false prophet. God told Adam and Eve, here's your rules, do this. Satan came in and he said, did God really say? Is that what God really meant? And he basically said, you can do the same thing God has told you to do, but if you'll do it this way, it'll be easier. And he changed the rules. And, and this is what a false prophet does. A false prophet says, I understand you want to connect to God. Here's a little easier way to do it. And he changes the rules and God says, when you change the rules, you change the connection. And even when a, a spiritual leader sincerely gets it wrong, even when a spiritual leader is, is doing everything they can to connect somebody to God, even if they sincerely get it wrong, they still produce a crop of unhealthy fruit. Because I believe many in the church world the last 1,500 years have been led astray by church leaders not trying to make it easier but make it simpler, um, trying to fit as many people as possible into the kingdom of God. And because of that, we've, we've kind of allowed people to connect to God in whatever way is easiest for someone to connect to God. And I don't believe it's out of a heart of deception. I don't believe it's out of a heart of trying to make up the rules. I think we're just, we're trying to change the rules just a little bit to fit as many as we can into the kingdom of God. But the fruit ends up being people who think they're connected to God who really are not. Look at, look at verses 16 through 20. Jesus says, by their fruit, you'll recognize false prophets. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit, you'll recognize them. You know, people who sincerely believe they're connected to God in a way that the Bible says you cannot connect it to God usually have been told that by somebody else. And someone has led them astray, and they're, they're just no more than fruit of an unhealthy tree. And I had this happen to me about a year and a half ago at, at our church. And, what, you know, one of, the, one of my greatest mistakes as a pastor of this church, about a year into our church, we had a couple come into our church who took me out to a local restaurant, um, and they began to ask me some questions about some things going on in their life. They were pretty knowledgeable biblically. And they, they basically came together and they said, listen, here's, here's what we've got going on. Um, and here's what we've been told the Bible says about this. But what do you think? And I knew, I knew if I just said the Bible's right, they're going to get mad. They'd never come to our church. We wouldn't have an opportunity to minister to them. So because I was a coward and I didn't want conflict, I just kind of talked around the issue. I mean, they came to me knowledgeably and said, here, Here's what we're doing. Here's, here's what we've been told the Bible says, but what do you think? Because basically they wanted, to, they wanted to do something that the Bible said they shouldn't do. And they said, what do you, what do you think? And I kind of just skirted the issue. Skirted, and, and, and it worked. I skirted the issue. They were comfortable with that. They started coming to our church, hanging out, but it, it just ate at me on the inside. And several weeks later, as I'd been kind of rolling this just around, and, and my thought was, if I can just get them in our church, get them under the teaching of God's word, get them around some Christian friends, like they'll come to their senses. You know, I'm, I'm not, if, we can just, if we can just get them in the church, everything will be okay. But they had confronted me with, the Bible says this, what do you say? And I'd, and I'd kind of just gone mute on that issue, but it had been bothering me. So I was flying down to Dallas to, to do some church planning deal, and Pastor Ryan was with me, and he was sitting across the aisle, and I was telling him, you know, I said, man, I, let me tell you what happened. So I told him what happened, and I said, man, I'm like, I'm really... 
I'm struggling with this, um, you know, and I don't know what to do. And Ryan is only he could because he's, you know, he's very respectful, obviously, to me. But I think he knew in that moment I was wrong. Um, he said, Christian, I see what you're trying to do in ministry. And he said, I, j- I understand it's really hard when the Bible says something so clearly, but that truth might, might offend someone. And he was basically saying to me, I get what you're struggling with, but I mean, the Bible clearly says this. So we got back from Dallas, and I called that couple, and I met with them, and I, and I just said, listen, you had asked me about this. Here's the reality of it. Um, I was wrong for that day not saying this is what the Bible says, and you're wrong, and you can't do this. And I didn't do it because I was hoping that if you just stayed around long enough, you would come to your senses, and I was hoping that things would go better. But I need you to know that I believe the Word of God, and the Word of God says this, and I just need you to know in this situation, here's what the Bible says, and you're wrong. And they got mad and haven't spoken to me since and left. But I'm okay with that because I can't have someone running around this world saying, the Bible says this, but Christian says this. Because when the Bible says this, but Christian says this, Christian's wrong. And, and here's what we learn about Scripture. When your heart disagrees with God's Word, your heart is wrong. And sometimes we have friends, we have relatives, we have kids in our youth ministry, we have children. We, we have people we'd like to change the rules for a little bit so it can be easier for them to fit into the, the narrow gate. Like we want to just expand it a little bit so that we can fit one more person into the narrow gate. But God says you're not allowed to change the rules. And I'd rather have somebody mad at me than someone saying, well, the Bible says this, but Christian says this, because you don't want to be listed with the false prophets. And here's the deal. Anytime I find out that I've misled somebody or led somebody poorly biblically, I try because James 3, 1 says, if you're a teacher, you're going to be judged more strictly than everyone else. I try to go to them and tell them. And, you know, I think there's a lot of pastors and priests and rabbis and youth pastors and Sunday school teachers that, that if they really understood the heart of God in Matthew chapter 7, they would go back and apologize to a bunch of people that they had told they could connect to God in a way that didn't fully connect them to God. I think there would be pastors that would apologize to people for asking them to just raise a hand instead of really give their life to Jesus. I think there would be pastors that would apologize to people for just telling them to get baptized really fast before really helping them understand who Jesus was. I think there would be pastors who would apologize for pushing people towards confirmation instead of Christ. I think there would be pastors who would apologize to people for asking them to walk down an aisle instead of to walk with Jesus. And I think if we really understood Matthew 7, we would say, you know, all these things that our world says connect you to God. Listen, the Bible says the only thing that connects you to God. We'll look at this in a minute in Acts chapter 4 is Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. Now, a lot of those things come after Jesus from the baptism to the classes to the prayers to this, but, but it has to be a commitment to Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus says, I blame first the spiritual leaders. The reality is many people in the church today have attached themselves to religion because they've been told that's the way to intimacy with God. There's pastors out there who want people to be a part of their church more than they want them to walk with Jesus. And, and when we look at what Scripture says... The Bible says the only way that we have intimacy with God is through a relationship with Jesus. Not through going to church, but you should. Not through being baptized, but you should. Not through raising hands and saying prayers. Those are all part of the Christian process. 
not through serving, but you should serve. Not through giving, but you should give. The Bible says the only way you can anchor yourself to God is through a relationship with Jesus. Christian, where does the Bible say that? Acts 4, 11 through 12. The apostle Peter, speaking to the religious leader, said, Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected, and he's become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in nobody else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The apostle Peter said there's only one way to get to heaven. By the way, Jesus also said this in John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's me. This is how you get to God. You have a relationship with me. The apostle Paul told the church at Philippi in Philippians 2 that it's Jesus that connects you to God. He said, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and and under the earth, and every tongue shall acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 4, the author of Hebrews said, there's only one person, only one thing that can connect you to God. His name is Jesus. In Hebrews 4, the author of Hebrews says, therefore, since we have such a great high priest, if you have your pen, underline the words high priest there. A high priest was the one mediator on planet earth that could connect Jewish people to God, the God of Israel. The author of Hebrews says, we have a great high priest. We have a mediator. We have one person who can connect us to God, who has ascended in heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. So let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess in who Jesus is. So when I ask you, what's the anchor that you're hanging on to to connect you to God? The answer is Jesus. My relationship and my friendship with Jesus, not my church attendance, not my giving, not my small group, not an experience, not a prayer, Jesus. It's my ongoing relationship with Jesus. You would say then, like I got texted this week, it's interesting the emotions that have stirred over Matthew chapter 7, the number of emails I got, the number of text messages, the number of questions. And I got a text message this week that was, that was somebody who really had kind of an enlightenment spiritually. Because they texted me, and it's funny, they texted me on Tuesday afternoon, which means they'd been thinking, thinking about this since Sunday. And they said, okay, one question. If we don't need religion and only a relationship with Jesus, then why do I have to ever go to church again? And I texted her back and said, that's a phenomenal question. As a matter of fact, that's the question I wrestled with for a year when I felt like God was beginning to do a work in me and when I really began to grow spiritually. And I felt like God wanted me to plant a church. I didn't know why. I just couldn't live my life with Jesus by myself. I didn't want to start a church. I didn't want to run a church. I didn't want to build a church. I just just wanted to live my life for Jesus. But I found out that the Bible tells us that the church, which is not an organization or a building in the Bible, the church is pretty important to Jesus. As a matter of fact, the church, the word church in Scripture, it's the Greek word ekklesia. Here's what the word church in the Bible means, a called out assembly. Here's what I mean by called out. It's a group that gathers together for a common purpose. And ecclesia is saying, um, hey, after church, we're all going to go eat pizza together. Who wants to come? And everybody's like, yeah, man, I'll do that. It's a group of people who's all decided to go do the same thing together. That's what the church is. So the answer, if I'm just, if I'm just supposed to need you, if all I need is Jesus, why do I have to go to church? The answer is you don't have to go to church. But when you pursue Jesus, you become the church. And it's easier to do church with others than to do church by yourself. You, you come together to celebrate who Jesus is and so that you can have more impact together than you would have apart. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus asked the disciples, what do people say about me? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, 
And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades will not overcome it. Here's what Jesus said. I'm going to build my church on people who believe that Jesus is the only way to connect to God. And boy, when they come together, they are going to be a powerful bunch. It's why in our mission statement, we don't use the word church. We did not start journey so you could come to church. The goal of journey is not to have you as a part of our church. Our our mission statement is to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. We want to connect people to Jesus and then kind of like playing Red Rover, one person connected to Jesus to another person connected to Jesus to another person connected to Jesus, all caring about the same things. Like we move forward together and, and we make inroads spiritually in this community for Jesus, not because of our church or our building or our name or our organization, but because of our people who are all living for Jesus together at the same time in the same direction. Ephesians 4 says it happens this way. So Christ gave himself, Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. That means he gave a bunch of people to serve the world who had gifts that could help the church to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of fullness of Christ. So there are people who've been walking with Jesus longer than I have who can help me go to my next steps in walking with Jesus. And there are people that I can help go to their next step in walking with Jesus. And there are people you can help go to your next, their next step in walking with Jesus. And by the way, if we'd all get together on the same mission and the same purpose, we could all help a bunch of people learn how to walk with Jesus. That's the purpose of church. That's why the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There it is, a called out assembly. Don't forsake hanging out for the purpose of living for Jesus, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. You say, if if I don't need religion, I only need Jesus. Why, Why do I need the church? Technically, you don't. The church needs you. We'd like you to join the army trying to make spiritual inroads. But you don't have to go to church to have a relationship with Jesus. But when you do have a relationship with Jesus, you can help others really engage what God is doing. I believe spiritual leaders have to believe this. They have to teach this. They have to preach this. And this has, this has to be the anchor of the church that I lead, that, that it's all about Jesus and nothing else. And if we'll follow Jesus in his scripture, it will just all work out okay. Even when not everyone agrees, if we follow Jesus in his scripture, it will all work out okay. So that's one, that's one reason we find ourselves in the place that we're in. But then Jesus gives us another reason that we find ourselves. How do we find ourselves in this place where you have people who want to be connected to God, but they don't connect to Jesus? And Jesus says, number two, unfortunately, we replaced a life with Jesus for lip service for Jesus, and we thought that's enough. We replaced a life with Jesus with lip service for Jesus and we thought that would be enough. In Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, I want you to underline the word says to me. And just in the margin of your Bible, write talks about. Jesus is saying, not everyone who talks about being a Christian is a Christian. That's what he's saying. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many are going to say to me on that day, there's that word say again, many will say, a lot of talk. Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, the problem in this world of Matthew 7 and and, and a problem in our church world today 
is that what we say about Jesus has surpassed in importance how we live for Jesus. And we think as long as we talk about Jesus, that's enough. And we think as long as we sing about Jesus, that's enough. And we think as long as we give a little to Jesus, that's enough. And as long as we serve a little for Jesus, that's enough. We've replaced a life with Jesus for lip service with Jesus. In Matthew 15, 8, Jesus said this, These people honor me with their lips. Man, they talk a great game, but their hearts are far from me. They talk about me a lot, but they really aren't living for me from the inside out. In James 2, 18 and 19, James, who was Jesus' oldest younger brother, said, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God good? Even the demons believe that and shudder. James says it's not enough to just believe in God. Demons believe in God if you read the New Testament. It's not about believing in God. It's about following God. It's about having a relationship with God. It's about walking with Jesus, not just talking about Jesus. And the reality is, as we read through Scripture, we realize that our actions don't earn a relationship with Jesus. You don't go to heaven because of what you do. But our actions do prove our relationship with Jesus. Or in some cases, our lack of actions or bad actions disprove our relationship with Jesus. Let me give you an example of what I think Jesus was talking about. I I had kind of an awkward moment happen to me about seven years ago. Those of you who have been a part of our church for a little while know that I I grew up in southern Ohio and I went to college in Virginia at a place called Liberty University. um, And I played football there from 96 to 2000. Uh, And we were not a great team and I was not a great player, but I had the chance to start quarterback there for a couple years. It paid for all my school, so I don't have any student loans, so I'm very appreciative of that. Um, But I was on the football team and that was kind of my group for four years. Um, So I, I was at a youth pastor's deal at Liberty like seven or eight years after I graduated. And there's like 30 youth pastors that are kind of sitting in the room. And the guy at the front of the room says, hey, why don't just go around and introduce yourself and uh, tell everyone who you are. And I'm kind of sitting on the back row. And like the third or fourth guy up gets, gets up. And he's, a, he's kind of a big looking guy. Um, and he, he gives his name. And he says, hey, I'm so-and-so. And he said, I went to Liberty between, uh, from 96 to 2000. And he said, I, can't, I, I play football here. And he told what position he played. He talked about Coach Sam, who was our coach. Kind of talked about those seasons and how they went. Talked about his position coach by name. But I'm looking at this guy thinking, I've never seen this guy in my life. Like, I'm probably the only guy in the room that knows this guy's lion. And he's telling this story about being on a team that I played on that I know he was not on. And I'm thinking, man, he is, I don't know, you know, probably he doesn't know who I am, but... You know, we did pep rallies, and at a Christian school, you're not, even, you're not allowed to have any funds. You kind of have to go to the pep rallies, and I'd speak at those. So I, you, you, some people knew my name, even though I wasn't a very big deal. But I thought, if this guy realizes, realizes that I played on this team, he's going to feel really silly. So we work our way around the room, and it gets to me. And they say, introduce yourself. So I just got up and said, hey, I'm so-and-so. I didn't say I played football or anything, but I could see the blood drain from When I said my name, I could see the blood drain from his face. Like, oh, no. And I just said, you know, I was here at the same time a lot of you guys. I'm a youth pastor in Kansas City now and kind of sat down. Man, that meeting ended, and he beelined it to me. And he was like, um, hey, hey, you were the quarterback, right? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, listen, man. And I said, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. You know, I don't care. And he said, no, 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 listen. Like, I was going to play um, at Liberty. 
And they came and watched a game when I was in high school, and they recruited me to play tight end. And I was training over the summer, and I hurt my knee, and, like, I was going to walk on. And, you know, I always kind of considered myself a part of the program. So, you know, I hope you understand. And I thought, well, I understand you're a liar, but, yeah, I understand. And I think about Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, and how many times Jesus has sat in a meeting where someone stands up and says, oh, yeah, I'm on Jesus' team. And, yeah, me and Jesus, we, you know, we had this experience, and I just love Jesus so much. And Jesus is sitting there thinking, this guy's not on, you're not, you're not on the team. I mean, you can talk about being on the team, and you can maybe practice a little bit to get ready to be on the team, and you can follow the team, but you're not on the team. And that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7. Like, you're, you're kind of all around the team, but you've, You've not yet given your life to me. We're not practicing together. We're not sweating together. We're not going into game day together. Like, you, we are not on the same team. And I wonder how many times Jesus has had that experience when people talk about being on his team, and Jesus is thinking, you know, bro, you, you are, you're not on the team. So we ask the question, how do we get here spiritually? When really the more important question is, how do we get out of here spiritually? Yeah, how do we get to a place where people believe they're connected to God and claim to be connected to God when they're really not? Well, unfortunately, sometimes spiritual leaders lead them that way. Sometimes people just convince themselves to believe it. But that's not as important as how do we get out of here spiritually. How do we, how do we make sure that doesn't happen with us? Two steps. Step one, you've got to be honest with yourself about the condition of your faith. Because only you can know the answer to the question I started this message with. When you think about why you know you're connected to God and you've been forgiven and you've started over and, and you're going to go to heaven when you die, what is your anchor? Only you know the question to that answer. You, only you know what allows you to lay down at night and feel really good about being connected to God. What's your answer? Because 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, Paul told the church at Corinth, listen, everyone ought to examine themselves. You ought to, just every now and then, you ought to just think about what's going on in your life spiritually. In, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, to the same group of people, he said the same thing. He even expanded it a little bit this time. He said, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith and test yourselves. Don't you realize Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Like, don't you realize that Jesus is your anchor? And then Paul says, and like, unless, of course, he's not. So Paul says every now and then you ought, to, you ought to think about the anchor of your soul and you ought to reflect on why you believe you're connected to God and just remember that that's Jesus. And he said, I'm sure you'll remember it's Jesus unless it's not Jesus. And if that's the case, we, we better figure out a way to make it Jesus. And that's step two. If, if we're not anchored to a relationship with Jesus, you've got to get a plan to develop your relationship with Jesus. Now, one of my favorite scripture passages in all the world is in Luke chapter 13 because of how sensitive God is with people who maybe are on the team but not in the game spiritually right now. In Luke 13, it says, Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he couldn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming here to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. 
And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. See, the world likes to look at people who have a connection to God, but maybe only a loose connection to God, and who don't have a lot of spiritual fruit. And we love to say, they're not Christians, throw them away. They're out. When Jesus is saying, now hang on just a minute. Maybe they truly do have a connection to God. And they were told to raise a hand, or they were told to get baptized, or they were told to take this class, but the reality, their heart wanted to connect to God. Give them a year to just know what to do. Like just bef- before you throw out their faith, give them a year, cut out the bad, start pouring in some good, and see if you, if you take a year really helping them, see if they don't start living for Jesus. I love this heart of Jesus who always says, let's give them one more try. And I think if Jesus were here today for all of our faith, he would say, realize the anchor has to be Jesus. If it's not, change it out. But if the anchor is Jesus, but your life's not showing that, let's, let's give it one more try. Let's give it one more try and, and see what can happen here. And I love, I love the thought of this parable because the simplicity of it tells us that there's no need to regret the past. You can't change what happened this morning. There's no need to regret how you've been living for Jesus or how you haven't been living for Jesus. Jesus tells us in Luke 13, there's no need to regret the past. You just have to regain the future. All you can fix is moving forward. So you say, well, you know, I want to be, I, I be connected to God, but, you know, can I do it the simplest way possible? No, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. Okay, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. How do I do that? Well, this might take a year, but here's some things you need to begin to do. And we started last week giving this list of things that we need to do. We prefaced it with Luke 13, 24, that says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. That word strive just means try with effort. Jesus says, if you want to have, if you want to be close to me and be connected with God through me, you have to put forth effort to be close to me. How do we do that? We gave seven spiritual tips last week. Number one, listen for Jesus daily. Read your Bible. Um, listen to sermons that maybe you've missed. Figure out a way to have a Bible verse texted to your phone. Figure out a way to hear from Jesus daily. Listen to Christian radio. Listen to sermons on radio. Number two, talk to Jesus daily. You do not have to close your eyes, get on your knees, and say any thous and those. And you don't have to pray real holy. You just need to talk to God. Today, I literally said to God on the way to church, God, when is it going to stop snowing? Like that was my prayer to God as, as I was driving around at 4 a.m. trying to figure out if we were going to be able to have church. God, it's March now here in America, and it's time for this to stop. Just talk to God about your family, about your marriage, about your life, about everyday stuff. Number three, invite the Spirit of Jesus into the periphery of your life. We talked about how we have the ability to be captured in our spirit by the periphery. Whether it's something we hear on the radio that takes us back to something, a billboard that we pass with a certain drink that used to be our drink of choice, or driving to St. Louis and passing all the strip clubs and sex shops on the way to St. Louis on I-70. The things in the periphery, they capture your attention. They have the ability to capture your spirit. So we said, let's add spiritual things to the periphery. Christian music playing in the background, some Bible verses posted places, a, you know, a Bible maybe laying on the coffee table at work, a little devotional book that we can lay on our office, just things to catch our attention to grab our spirit. Number four, begin to go on group dates with Jesus. What does that mean? Get in a small group, hang out with other Christians and talk about Jesus. One of the best ways to begin a relationship with someone you're not sure about is to bring one of your friends with you to hang out with the person as kind of your wingman, your, your comfort blanket. And as you grow spiritually, one way to kind of figure out what's going on spiritually is to live spiritually, talk spiritually, ask questions spiritually with friends. 
because that gives you a comfort of getting to know who Jesus is. Begin to consistently serve Jesus. Live a life figuring out who Jesus is and how you can serve hurting people, how you can serve other people in the church, how you can partner together to really engage for the good of God's kingdom and what the Bible says it should be. Take a trip with Jesus, number six. What we, we said serving downtown, going on a mission trip. Go, go do something for Jesus in another part of the world that will blow your mind and help you really know who he is. Man, listen, if you want to get to know somebody well, take a road trip with them, right? I mean, you, get, you sit in a car with someone for eight or 12 hours, you can get to know somebody. You take a week-long trip to Guatemala or to South Africa or to Kenya or to India or to Israel with the specific purpose of serving Jesus. You're going to know Jesus a lot more when you get back than you did when you went. And then number seven, step into a lifelong commitment with Jesus with effort. Like try. Really put forth effort to know who Jesus is and to have him as a part of your life. I got an email this week from one of the men in our church. And this email serves as a perfect example of the difference between religion and relationship. Someone who stepped out of going to church and doing the God thing and into really wanting to know Jesus and have Jesus in his life. And he sent this to Pastor Ryan and I this week. Hey guys, I wanted to be one of the first, I wanted you to be one of the first people that I told this morning on my way to work that I recommitted my life to the Lord. I want to have a relationship with him and not just be a religious person. For the last five days, I've been waking up to having a worship song in my head that I'm singing. It's been amazing, and it's really showing me that Jesus Christ is really working in my life. I feel like it's God's way of telling me I'm here with you. See, I haven't really told anyone this, but I also struggled with pornography like Christian did. I've talked about that several times in our church. I talked about it at the marriage conference this weekend. It started in high school and has gone on ever since. My wife knew that I'd look at it. She wasn't very happy, but I really didn't care. I can say, I can happily say that I've not looked at pornography in 16 days and I haven't had desires to either. I give God all the praise for helping me with this struggle that's been a part of my life for 20 plus years. I wanted to tell you guys this so you could pray for my continued strength with avoiding pornography, but more importantly, I'd like prayer to help become a godly father and husband and a large influence in church and helping others come to Christ. Thank you both for being a Christian influence on me and helping guide me to become a better father, husband, and friend. See, this is someone who says going to church is not enough anymore. I really want Jesus to impact my life, my heart, my family, my parenting. Like I'm, like I'm all in. I want to wake up thinking about Jesus. I want to go to bed thinking about Jesus. don't want to become a fanatic, but I want to become a friend of Jesus, not just someone who hangs out around the team, but is not really on it. And what we desire at our church, the reason we started this church, the reason we have services on Sunday morning is not to build a church, but to help people connect with Jesus in such a way that it changes their life and in such a way that when they come together with other people who are doing the same thing, the impact is exponential in our community of what we can do for God, one person at a time who will decide to live for Jesus and not just be satisfied with religion. So that's my prayer for you, my challenge for you today. Let's pray together.